Welcome to chapel this morning. Glad you're here. Hope you had a great weekend. I hope that on Saturday you got a chance to go out to some of the athletic events that went on. It was a big day in Baylor life. And I went out with my son, Siler, and we went to the spring football game. And then we went to um, the, the indoor football practice facility where the, the inflatables are. And he got hit in the face with a football. It's not funny. It's not funny. I apologize. <laughs> It was a little funny because it wasn't permanent. And he cried, he cried for a really long time. And I was, my wife was out of town, so I was just single daddy that, that moment. And um, it was sad. Okay, moving, <laughs> moving right along. Hey, I want you to know two things that are going on this week. One is Justice Week. It is Justice Week this week, and uh, what that means for you is that we want to make you aware of, of justice issues that are going on in the world, and there's a, a lot of things going on right now over in front of the sub, so I hope you'll be aware when you go there, but also our speaker today in chapel is affiliated with Justice Week, so I will introduce him in just a moment. Before I do that, however, I want to make you aware that some of you may have thought to yourselves, hey, I, I'm intrigued by seminary. And I don't know if that's you or not, but when I was in college, I remember thinking, I, I want to know more about God, and I want to study more about the things of God but, and on a deeper level, but I don't really know what seminary means. I don't really know, do you, do you major in something at seminary? I don't really know. Um, so I found a seminary, and I, I'm a little partial to the one that's here at Baylor because that's the only reason I ended up in Waco, Texas. Um, I have no Texas roots whatsoever. Don't hold that against me. But, um, but I came here simply to come to Truett Theological Seminary. And so I want you to know that Truett is out in the foyer right now, and they'll also be at a seminary day that will take place at the Bobo uh, Spiritual Life Center where we work. Um, two doors over, so I hope that you'll make an effort to go over there on Wednesday. Um, they'll, they'll hand you one of these outside if you have a chance to pick one up at the Truett table, and that has the whole schedule of seminary on it. Let's pray this morning as we get started with chapel. God who loves us, God who cares for us, God of saints and God of sinners. God of the poor and the oppressed and God of those in charge who make all of the decisions. Lord, we submit ourselves to you this morning and we pray that you might teach us, that you might change us. Amen. I want you to know that it's a special day in chapel. Wayne Bernard is here he serves as Director of Student Ministries for International Justice Mission. Now, some of you may say, I don't know what International Justice Mission is. Luckily, I have it written down on this little sheet of paper. I will share it with you. International Justice Mission is a human rights agency that secures justice for victims of slavery, sexual exploitation, and other forms of violent oppression. We believe this is the work of Jesus. IJM lawyers, investigators, and other professionals work with local governments to ensure victim rescue to prosecute perpetrators, and to promote functioning public justice systems. These are things that Christ followers should be about. We'll learn more about IJM in just a few minutes. We're going to watch a little video in just a bit. But before then, I want to tell you that Wayne Bernard, who's here with us this morning, is Director of Student Ministries 
Uh, Wayne provides leadership for IJM and education all the way from kindergartners up to college students in the area of justice and what it means to be an advocate for justice issues. He holds a BA in theology and MA in marriage and family therapy, a PhD in family studies. And before joining IJM, he actually resided right here in a, in a city here in Texas. Any of you from Abilene? Any Abilene people? We got one, we got two. That, that makes seven between the three chapels. That's fantastic. Welcome. He was on staff at, at I'm just kidding. There's a lot of people from Abilene at our university. Uh, he served on staff with Abilene Christian University for almost 20 years before joining the forces of IJM. During his 25 years of ministry, I want you to know he's been a pastor. He's been a prison chaplain here in the Texas prison system. He's been a youth and family minister, a counselor. He's worked as a marriage and family therapist. He's worn a lot of hats. He recently returned from a one-year appointment to Beijing, China, where he was a guest lecturer at Peking University and taught philosophy and psychology at the International Academy of Beijing. In addition to his work educationally and professionally, I want you to know that he's been involved with Habitat for Humanity, which many of you have been involved with, as well as Texas Child Protective Services. He and his wife currently live in Alexandria, Virginia, because IJM is based in Washington, D.C., so before we welcome him, and I would like to give him a warm Baylor welcome, but before we do that, we're going to watch this brief video together to kind of educate us a little more on what IJM is, and then I hope that you will warmly welcome him to the Baylor Chapel stage. Let's watch this video together. The police, they, they started shooting at me. I was shocked. I thought that now, that is there. customer. NBC News In-Depth tonight, a rare glimpse into a world both horrible and heartbreaking. Here is some of what NBC's Chris Hansen has uncovered in a Dateline NBC investigation. Poverty is no excuse for forcing children into prostitution, says Gary Haugen, who runs a U.S.-based human rights group, International Justice Mission. International Justice Mission. The International Justice Mission. International Justice Mission. International Justice Mission. At IJM, we, we do have this confrontation with this, this horrific phenomenon of evil and violence and injustice in the world, and people who are being horrifically abused, whose lives are on the basic dignity is being crushed. Gary Haugen is an American lawyer who has now devoted his career to rescuing children from illegal bondage. Sometimes you just need to go to the places of need, where people need an advocate, people need someone to bring to bear the law on their behalf. So if you actually want to eradicate the forced labor system, holding perpetrators accountable is absolutely important. Our hope is that these victims will feel safe and don't have to worry about um, the immediate fears that they have. And second thing is that we really want a transformation of their lives despite of the trauma or the experiences that they have gone through in their life. 
God knows what their future would have been. That's what we're all about. That's the impact that we are having by rescuing children out of those dark, evil places and seeing them mature and grow, be educated and be free. The most inspiring thing I get to do with my life these days is get to go see my colleagues at work in their own countries around the world. They're the ones who are taking the risks to infiltrate slave rings or sex trafficking operations or violent places where people are being abused. They're the ones that actually work with the authorities to, to bring rescue. My colleagues who end up resurrecting these children who, when we first find them, are just in a fetal position of abuse and then are just resurrected to, to life and joy and a future. <laughs> It's an opportunity to do something wonderful, an opportunity to do something that takes risks. It's a struggle that matters. Thank you. Good morning. There you go. It's really great to be with you this morning. Um, I uh, appreciate the invitation to come and share with you. I uh, flew in last night from D.C. Uh, this past weekend. Uh, we had about 1,000 people from all over the world, uh, friends, partners, our field office staff, uh, come into D.C. and spend the weekend with us for what we call our global prayer gathering, uh, where prayer partners and people come, and we spend a weekend uh, in amazing worship and intercessory prayer for God's work in IJM to bring rescue to people around the world. In fact, today, uh, this very hour, there are about 300 students and other people in D.C. Uh, on the Hill advocating in the offices of Congress, uh, pushing forward, asking for support for the Child Protection Compact Act, which is a bill before Congress now. Uh, to increase funding uh, for organizations like IJM as well as for countries who are seeking and working to eradicate slavery and human trafficking. You'll have an opportunity later this week, perhaps even today, uh, the IJM chapter here will have a table set up. We have postcards you can sign simply uh, asking senators here in Texas to lend their support uh, and join in on, on passing this bill, very important bill. Well, uh, you know, I'm in and out. I leave in the morning, and so I don't have uh, a great deal of time uh, to get to know you as I would like. Uh, and so because of that, I don't really know um, where you come from or where you are in your faith journey or kind of the desires of your heart and where you see your life going. For me, I've tried to follow Jesus uh, for a long time, not always successfully. Uh, it's, it's at times quite a struggle. But, you know, a question that comes up periodically in my life, even still uh, in these days, is, is a simple question, and it's this. Are Jesus and I interested in the same things? Is there an alignment between my passion and my interest and that of God? You know, I could give you a list of all the things I'm interested in, and you could give me a list of all the things you're interested in. But if we put those aside for just a moment, and we focus on first principles, God's character, His nature, 
What is it he's interested in and what is he passionate about? Well, this morning we're going to consider just really briefly two of the more unfamiliar passions of God. The first one actually comes from a memory verse in your younger days, John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That the entire incarnation, God became flesh in Jesus, is motivated by this intense love God has for the world. This great, big, messy, complex world about which we spend most of our time complaining. Spanning cultures and continents, turns out God loves, He's passionate about the world. Well, on the other hand, what am I passionate about? What are you passionate about? You know, I'm passionate about me. Turns out, I really love me. No one had to remind me this morning to think about me. I bet none of your friends had to call you this morning on the cell phone or text you and say, Hey, sometime today, think about yourself. You know, it's just something that comes very naturally for us, is thinking about ourselves. You know, occasionally, my heart expands just a little bit. Uh, and in fact... I, uh, I find myself loving people in the entire universe who are mm, part of my immediate family. You know, my wife and my kids. And that's a really great day in the household, isn't it? One, sometimes as kids, we kind of circle and hope that'll happen again uh, when the focus of mom or dad is actually turned into the family. There are other times when I have these great spiritual highs, these great experiences, you know what I'm talking about? And, you know, my, my heart expands a little bit more to loving everyone in this big cosmos who like me or who are like me or people I like. You know, if we're not careful, that becomes the focus of our passion, this very small, shriveled sense of me and mine. Well, Jesus tells a story that was one of my favorites as a kid growing up. I think because in Bible class we kind of acted this one out and it was told a lot. Uh, it was in all the, you know, storybooks of the Bible. And it's about the Good Samaritan. And, and this point's pretty well illustrated, I think, in this story. You know the story. There's this guy, he's traveling, he's on the road, robbers come up, they take all of his money, uh, they beat him, and they leave him for dead. And then three people, Jesus says, come down the road. Uh, the first is a priest, the second a Levite, and the third he calls this Samaritan person, kind of low on the social status. Well, the priest and the Levite, they notice the man, but they don't really see him. And in fact, they go out of their way to walk on the other side of the road and take no responsibility for him. But then the Samaritan comes. He notices the man. He sees the man. He feels compassion in his heart for the man. And he acts. He takes the man and places him on his own donkey. He takes him to a local inn. He pays for his medical care. And in fact, he says, I'm going to be back through here. If there are more expenses, I'll take care of those too. Well, I, op 
often have asked the question, what had to happen in the life of a priest and a Levite? You know, men of God. What had to happen in their life that would allow them to be so self-focused, so focused on their busy schedule that they would pass on the other side? You know, in these stories, it's always easy to kind of place blame on them, to dog on those people. But in actuality, that's a question I could, I could ask myself. What is it that happens in my life that would lead me to a place that I would notice but not see, not feel compassion, and therefore not act? I've come up with a short list. Part of it is my privilege. Part of it is the great access I have in social structures. Part of it is my accumulation of stuff. And part of it is this just sense of self-focused interest on me and on mine. So much so that I don't see the needs of people around me. Well, for instance, Probably when you woke up this morning and had breakfast, it didn't cross your mind that today 20,000 children will die because their parents can't find for them good nutrition. And tomorrow, 20,000 more. And the next day, 20,000 more. Or probably that 1.5 billion people on the planet today do not have access to a doctor. They're not people who are arguing about whether or not their health plan will allow them to choose their doctor. They don't get one. And what about the thousands of kids around the world in our own country in urban centers who live on the street and have no one to care for them and bring them protection? You know, I really don't know how these people are supposed to believe that there is a good God. In fact, if you think about it with me, you kind of wonder, what is God's plan for this great injustice and suffering and making it believable to these people that He's a good God? Well, the answer in Scripture is a little on the startling side because, as it turns out, um, we're the plan. You and me. And God doesn't have plan B. We're it. So you go to Matthew chapter 5, says to those of us who follow him, Jesus says, You are the light of the world. Let your light so shine among men that they will see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. You know, it's pretty clear. Jesus doesn't say in this passage, you know, you might be the light of the world. Or you could be the light of the world, or I sure hope you become the light of the world, Jesus says, you're it. You're the light of the world. That's why Paul in 2 Corinthians says it this way, God is making his appeal to the world through us. So for 2,000 years, what have we been doing? Well, as Christians... Uh, when people don't have access to the gospel, the good news of Jesus, we take it to them. When people are hungry, we feed them. 
When people are without shelter, we build them homes. When people don't have access to medical care, we pull together medical teams, even to go across continents to provide medical care. Some of you are going to do that with Baylor Missions here in three or four weeks. But you know, there's really another category of people in our world. And they're suffering for different reasons. Not necessarily because they don't have the gospel or food or shelter or medical care. These are people who are suffering because of the intentional abuse and oppression of other people. And these are the victims of injustice in our world. You know, now you think, well, what is injustice? Because, you know, in the U.S., right, uh, injustice, justice for that matter, it, it really means everything and nothing at the same time. You know, in my world, moments of injustice are when someone cuts in front of me in line or when I'm cut off in traffic or when I'm in a, a, a big, busy parking lot and someone you know, steals around me to take my parking space I've been waiting for. Well, it turns out in Scripture, that's not what the Bible's talking about when it talks about injustice. You know, Scripture talks about injustice as a very particular sin. It's described this way over and over in Scripture. Injustice is the abuse of power. The abuse of power to take from others what God intends for them. Their life, their liberty, their dignity, and the fruit or the result of their work and their love. Well, if this is what injustice is, what else does the Bible do to help us get a better picture of it? Ecclesiastes writer says it this way, Behold, I saw the tears of the oppressed, and they have no one to comfort them. And get this, but on the side of the oppressor was power. And then Psalm 10, the psalmist is great about describing injustice. These are the words. Listen to him carefully. They sit in ambush in the villages. In hiding places, they murder the innocent. Their eyes stealthily watch for the helpless. They lurk in secret like a lion in its cover. They lurk that they may seize the poor. They seize the poor and drag them off in their nets. Well, International Justice Mission, as you've already heard this morning, is a group of Christian lawyers, criminal investigators, and, and trauma social workers who work around the world in our field offices, most of whom are nationals in country with whom we build capacity and train to do the work of justice in their very own country, to change and transform the justice system. Well, in working with this group of people, I've come to see very vividly and clearly the picture of injustice in this world. Let me show it to you. First of all, Kumar. You saw him in the video earlier. At five years old, Kumar experienced great tragedy as he was orphaned and then left in the care of his uncle. At seven years old, a corrupt brick kiln owner conscripted young Kumar into slavery at his brick factory. You know, as other children were going off and beginning school, Kumar was initiated into a life of slavery. Every morning, he woke up at 6.30 
and labored under terrible conditions until the late evening hours. His hands were raw and his body exhausted from the strain of the work in the brick factory. You know, only, though only he was a child, he knew that wasn't right. Here's what he said. You know, I wanted to study. I wanted my parents. I wanted to play. At times, I would think of all those things, he said. You know, in fact, in his country, between 10 and 15 million children, it is estimated, are held illegally as slaves. And across the world, 30 million people today living in slavery, more than the entire 400 years of the transatlantic slave trade. We've seen thousands of these children in his country. And you've got to ask for all these children and others around the world, how is it that they are supposed to believe that there is a God and that that God is good? For Joy T from South Asia at 14, she was living with her poor family in a rural area. And some older women came to her and said, Joy T, come with us to the large city. You can get a job and you can work and send money back to your family. And she thinks this is a great idea. So she gets in the car with them and they strike out. A little bit later on, they serve her some tea that's been drugged and she falls unconscious, only to wake up in a dark dungeon. You see, she's been sold. The women took her to the red light district, sold her into prostitution for $250. So for three days in this dark pit of hell, the brothel owners beat her with electrical cords and pipes and hoses so that they can cause her to submit. And submit to what? To being sourced every day, seven days a week, to 20 to 30 men a day. Serially raped every day of her life. And Joy T cannot leave this brothel. UNICEF estimates that as many as one million children, one million children a year are taken into forced prostitution. Every year, one million children. How are all these children supposed to believe that God is good? You know, if you just look at all the suffering and injustice around the world, you got to wonder that question. Well, David, the psalmist, in Psalm 10, I love this, never leaves us really hanging, always brings us back to hope. And it says, O oh Lord, listen to this, you will hear the desire of the meek. You will strengthen their heart. You will incline your ear to do justice for the orphan and the oppressed. So that man who is of the earth may strike terror no more. You see, this is the really great news of Scripture, isn't it? That in a world of, of this terror, in this world of great injustice, God yearns. He yearns to bring rescue. In fact, we've written a book, and it's entitled Good News About Injustice. You know, sometimes people say, I don't get that title. What's the good news about injustice? And here it is. The good news is God hates injustice, and he wants it to stop. The good news is God has a plan for how to stop it, and that plan includes you and me. You see, this is the great teaching of the Bible. No matter what else we believe about the Bible, here's the great teaching of the Bible. 
God throughout time has sought to bring rescue. Rescue for those who live in slavery, under violent oppression, both physically and sometimes spiritually, like for you and me. You know, this really just actually raises that other question, right? I'm part of the plan. This involves me. How, in fact, does that unfold? How does that help? You know, Scripture's pretty clear. Micah chapter 6, verse 8. He has told you, O man, O woman, what is good and what the Lord requires of you, but to do justice and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. And then the prophet Isaiah makes it really clear in Isaiah chapter 1, verse 17. He says, Stop doing evil. Start doing good. And then clearly, seek justice. Rescue the oppressed. Defend the orphan. And plead for the widow. You know, for those of us who take the Bible seriously, you can't miss this one. Without a doubt, God calls his people to be involved in the work of justice in the world. But you know, if you're like so many, and like me, we hear that we're the plan, and we see the magnitude of injustice in the world, and we're paralyzed in our chairs. And we think, how can I, a student, one person at Baylor, make such a difference in the world? Well, this really great story that I also like. I think as a kid I liked it so much because there was a little boy in it. I could resonate with this story. It's the feeding of the 5,000. And you remember the story. You know, Jesus uh, had been preaching for a long time, kind of like me. People were tired. They were hungry. The disciples come to him and they say, Jesus, people are hungry. Let's send them home to take care of their own needs. They can come back later. You know, Jesus, Jesus says, no, no, we're not going to do it that way. You feed them. The disciples look at the magnitude of the crowd, 5,000 people. And they say to Jesus what, what he already knows. It would take half a year's wages to feed this many people. Jesus, you know, we're just kind of short on cash. Back to you, Jesus. Not our problem. It's pretty interesting, right? Jesus was clear. He said it simply. Feed them. But they look at the magnitude of the need, and then they look at their own resources, and they think, this can't have anything to do with me, surely. You know, in the same way, Jesus says, seek justice, rescue the oppressed. If we're not careful, we look at the magnitude of the abuse, and we look at our own little resources, and we think, no way. He can't be serious. You know, in the story, what happens is pretty interesting. He simply asks them, what do you have? So here are these men, these disciples, and they push forward this little boy to the front of the crowd, right? He's the kid whose mom packed him a lunch for the day with a couple of fish and five loaves. And they say to Jesus, this is it. This is the entire corporate resources that we have to do what you've asked and feed this group of people, these 5,000. Well, Andrew, 
one of the disciples, you know, the one who has the graduate degree in public policy, you know, and kind of understands the deeper sociological roots of the problem. He says to Jesus, it's so little. What is this among so many? Well, Jesus says, give it to me. What do you have? Will you give it to me? At that moment, he takes responsibility for the miracle, right? He takes it and he feeds 5,000 to overflowing. He didn't ask the little boy what was needed to feed everyone. He simply said, what do you have? What do you have? And will you give it to me? So Kumar, on a fall day, IJM's Bangalore office in India discovered slavery in this kiln, documented the evidence with undercover investigation work. The team arrives early in the morning, brings with them the government official. The slaves begin to tell their story. And while that's happening, Kumar remembers thinking, these people have come to save me. And he was so happy. But then on the scene, all the other slave owners in the area hear about it and come, and they try to stop people from telling their story through deception and coercion and threats. They don't want them to tell the truth. But Kumar and the others, they stand firm. And that day, the government official grants them their emancipation. They have letters of freedom with which they are set free and given a sum of money from the Indian government, a rehabilitation fund, to begin to rebuild their lives. Kumar is finally free. We help him enroll in school, and he starts making up for lost time. He loves riding his bicycle, and he likes going out and herding the goats that he bought with his rehabilitation fund. And you know what he's doing now? He's interning in the Bangalore office. He's working right alongside the very people who brought rescue to his life. Joy T, she's no longer being horrifically abused and serially raped day after day inside that brothel. We were able to send undercover investigators to infiltrate that brothel, take the information to our secure police contacts, and get her out of there. Take her and put her into long-term Christian aftercare where Joy T actually comes to know Jesus as her Savior. And she finally reaches a level of health where she comes to us one day and says, take me back. I know where there are other girls. So here Joy T leads the raid on the next brothel. And we rescue seven other girls. And one of those girls is Kalindi. Kalindi comes out of the brothel and immediately says, take me back. I know where there are still other girls. We go back and rescue over two dozen young girls out of this dark pit of hell, this dungeon where they are held in darkness. But on this day, the body of Christ shows up and they are brought into the light of freedom. You ever think about the story of feeding the 5,000? Why did Jesus choose to do it that way? You know, he could have called down manna from heaven 
that happened before, you know, and just kind of drop the manna and say, hey, eat. I'm going to keep teaching. You guys just enjoy your food. Not that day. I don't think it was an accident that the person in the crowd with the lunch was a small boy. One of the things I'm learning is that small kids, they believe, they get it, they understand. They've not lived long enough to become jaded or to become maybe overly enthused with themselves, me and mine. So what does this mean for you and me? Well, in a world of all this injustice and abuse, you got to ask the question, why has God given us so very much? My prayer for us is that in the world of so much suffering and hurt and need, that God will not leave us focused on ourselves and our stuff, but that he will rescue us from all things small and petty. Rescue us from our own fear and move us with courage to the forefront of this world that is yearning to see the goodness of God so that the body of Christ shows up on behalf of the oppressed. Let's stand together as we pray and are dismissed. Lord God, today, in our midst, you bring truth. So important for us today, God, because so much around us is not true and is not real. But today, you speak to us truth. It is my desire, God, to pray now for all of us God, that within this room, you will stir a movement of this justice generation. God, that we will be led not only to notice, but to see and to care and to take responsibility and to act. God, would you go before us? Would your glory be our rear guard? Today, God, as you send us out, give us eyes to see and hearts to love. In the name of Jesus. We all pray together and say, Amen. Thank you.